Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Oh my God. We have, we have our third episode of, of January. January. Going. Out of control. You threw this one at me like around the middle of December. And I'm like, I didn't even hesitate. The irony is I've seen it once before this week. <laughs> and I, 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 first, I, I, I had to have known that. That's why I kind of lost my mind a couple of days ago when I said, hey man, there's no Blu-ray for this. <laughs> there's, there's nothing for this. Nope. We got the Hughes brothers. Second, only their second movie, Dead Presidents. Dude. And yeah, man. I mean, and this movie, good Lord. Yeah. I mean, I remember when it came out, I saw it, you know, opening week. So I was a big fan of Menace. And we went and I mean, I was, just, I walked out of the theater. I was like, good fucking <laughs> God, man. What a fucking movie. It is. It, and it's funny too, you know, Menace really showed that, you know, and the way it was presented kind of sucks too, because Menace was presented as this Boys in the Hood knockoff, and it really was an unfair it's not comparison. even, it wasn't, but it wasn't a Boys in the Hood knockoff. Right. We just watched the trailer after we watched Dead um, this morning, and I thought, man, they really sold this movie as something different than what it was, Menace, specific, specifically we're talking about. And I'm like going, I said, that's not fair to that movie, man, because it's really, really good, and to think that this is only two years after that yeah, is right? just, we were talking before about this. I mean, Lorenz Tate, who was, plays O-Dog and Menace to Society, but in this, I, would you thought this was, if there was, if you didn't know time-wise, would you know there's only two years between the performance he gave in Menace and how, and him playing Anthony Curtis in this? No way, man. No way. This is, he's got like 10, 15 years worth of, experience coming out in, in less than two years. How the fuck did he not get real, real exposure because of this performance? I mean, like, like awards type stuff. You know how I feel about awards, but yep. did the recognition, like SAG recognition or something like that, where it's your peers really speaking out with you know, that you affected them. Cause again, I've saw this movie one time before this week, 25 years ago. And that's the impression it left on me. And to see it again and still be blown away, even with my memory of it, is just yeah. Lawrence Tate, man, and then but like you mentioned earlier, across the board, everybody kills. Everybody is a game level, dude. Chris Tucker, this is the best thing Chris Tucker's yes. ever done. And this is the same year that Friday came out, and that's what everybody yeah. looks at. Right, everyone's like, "Oh, Smokey, I'm yeah. like, fuck that, dude." Yeah, I'm talking about Skip. I'm talking about Skippy, <laughs> not Smokey. And when you fast forward to Silver Linings Playbook. Thank you. I had Playbook stuck in my head the whole time. Yes. Now, when you see that movie, you see performance, and he got all this accolades for it, Chris Tucker. And I'm like, did you guys ever see Dead Presidents? Because <laughs> he gives you a little bit of that, and that was 20 years ago, you know? Right. And uh, no, he's, yeah, everybody, dude. And then, I mean, you have Freddie Rodriguez, who a lot of you might know from, you know, a small part that he had a couple of years, well, not more than a couple of years, like four years after this with Can't Hardly Wait. Jennifer Lewis playing the mom. Um, James Pickens playing Keith the Keith David as Kirby. Oh, my God, dude. When Keith David, just to, just to add some veteran, just old school acting to the whole cast, it's just, it kills, dude. This movie is so good. And it, yeah, it's a, it's a really well-crafted script. Cinematography is exceptional. These guys, man, the Hughes brothers deliver every time. I don't, it, I really think they deserve a lot more credit for the advancement of cinema of the last 25 years Yo. because of just these two movies for Menace and, and Dead Presidents alone. Well, and then they followed that up with the, you know, American Pimp, which, uh, is a, is great. Yeah. And then, and then from hell. Right. Dude, it's maybe the last really awesome movie that Depp was in. Yeah. Yeah. And this is before Johnny Depp became, you know, Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. I mean, by years. And Death from hell is so good. I think I bought almost every incarnation of that <laughs> as far as like every DVD that came out of it. Cause they, they put out a lot of variations of that. Oh one. yeah, man. There's a, there's a dual disc that has, you know, the whole second disc is just special features, yeah. interviews and alternate C. I mean, there's a ton of stuff on yeah. that DVD. Definitely seek that out. I mean, we always talk about how special, you know, uh, extras are to us and how we just, you just don't see anymore other than 
most of the time when David Fincher does something, his second disc is always better than the movie, which says a lot because he, he, he recognizes the importance of that stuff and that in the second disc on From Hell, man, if you haven't seen the movie yet, pick it up it, and, and pick up, a, you could pick, pick up a used DVD. It'd probably cost you more to ship it than it would cost you for the disc itself. Or if you have stars, it's on stars right now. Oh, I meant if from the did, standpoint if, of the, yeah, of the I mean, I'm just saying if you just, if you just want to see the movie, check it out on stars. Yeah. But if you want to dive in, go deep, you can pick it up for like three or four bucks used. I realized really quick after I, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through the first act while they're still, while they're still at home. Man, we should have done a Hughes Brothers month. <laughs> we could have easily. Well, you know, the thing is, we can always revisit and come back to, you know, yeah. just drop one of their movies in when it, uh, because look, um, you know, there's that, there's Book of Eli. And yeah, and that, and I think it's funny too, because Book of Eli had a lot of eyes on it from, from the other part of the community that I really pay attention to. And that's the Red Cinema community. And because the Hughes Brothers chose to to use a red cinema camera in that. And that's what added so much to its look. And that's one thing that's been really uh, amazing and, and really just how much thought the brothers put into their movies. And, but they're cinema lovers. They, you know, they understand what they have. They're just, they just love making movies. Yeah, absolutely. But the Hughes brothers overall, man, they, they, they dabble wherever they want to tell a story. They dabble on TV. They dabble on streaming services. They dabble everywhere. Because the dudes just kick ass, man. They do everything, right? And here we go, man. Second movie. Right. And, and it starts in it literally, I mean, I, I just want to throw this out. We were talking about the performances, but I wanted to say Rose Jackson and the Bush Wright, yeah. both kill yeah. it, man. And yeah. I, I want to say Rose Jackson kind of just fell off. Like, I, I don't... I don't even know if she's still acting. I, I looked at her, I looked at her credits and I was, I was sure she had done a lot more after this, but no, but you know, she's awesome in this and the Bush, right. You know, you guys probably know from blade right. and other things, but man, I mean, the acting across the board, like we said, but you know, the one performance that really kind of sticks out and kind of like, you know, and we can get to this, but is Clifton Powell. It's mm -hmm. Cuddy. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord, dude. Him and uh, Terrence Howard as Cowboy. <laughs> yeah. They both have, they're not in it a lot. Well, I mean, Terrence Howard's in it a little bit more than, than Clifton Powell. But I tell you, you really see with Terrence how young, not just young and youthful he was, but his... He, he's kind of channeling a little bit of this character when you fast forward to Hustle and Flow. Oh, yeah. He's a little, dude, there's some cowboy there. It's like that character grew up to be that. I really thought you were going to see him again. I forgot I forgot that you don't see him again after you get his ass beat in the pool. <laughs> right, that's it. I mean, you see, that's it. That's what you get, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, he mentioned, you know, it's funny too because he's an underling of Cuddy. Right. Uh, Clifton Powell, which he, he drops a little knowledge on. I mean, the, the crazy thing about this movie is it starts with them kids just getting out of high school and right. they're, you know, and they're out delivering milk right. <laughs> in right. the mornings. Right. It's so crazy. That's our introduction to Skip, Anthony and Jose. You remind me of the beginning of Reservoir Dogs that just that casual. Yeah. The casual the thing. Table. And that's why yes. I felt when I saw the movie back in the day was like going our, cause I didn't know when they, I didn't know nothing about the movie I, cause it was always presented to us that the, that the heist was everything, but the heist is like, right just an inkling of the movie and so uh, yeah, exactly i thought they were about to do it like right there <laughs> one of the things that i took away from watching the movie again a couple the two times in the last couple of weeks um and i always kind but you're right they did present the trailer would make you think this was a heist movie that's what was going but this movie is it's a lot of things right. it's uh it's a coming of age thing if, if it's, a, it's a forced coming of age thing forced coming of age the yeah. struggle it's a struggle uh it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a struggle of mankind. I mean, it, dude, it's just, it's so many different things. Right. And then lastly, a heist movie, but the heist is, the heist is kind of just the culmination right. of everything else. Right. It's, it's not like the movie is, we're not, we're not seeing a heist film for 95 minutes. Right. The thing is, is we really care about when the heist, we, you know, there's a sense of dread to you, but I think to the heist, man, I didn't want any of them to do it. Right. Right. I mean, you're invested in everybody. Right. Cause you, I, you know, what's going to happen and you're just like, just, just go. 
just go. Yeah, I know you lost your job and I know this is terrible, but stop. You know, you don't, because you don't want them to do it. No. One of the things that I really found interesting, and I think it more, hit me more now than it did back in 95, is the title of the movie itself. You think because the, the, of the name that it's just about the heist, but it's about how money, of course, people always refer to dead presidents as, as you know, equates to money, that how money affects their life from the beginning. Because we yeah. see them when they're kids delivering, they're, they're making pen, they're making nothing doing milk deliveries. And then they go over to Vietnam, and now that's not about money. Now it's about different dead presidents, about what presidents and the money that's being made by the government. Yep. And not necessarily for them. And then when he comes back, find out how it was even, it was easier for them to make money back when they were kids delivering milk than it was as adults. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, they, they would gladly take that milk delivery job back. <laughs> right. You know? Like when, Skit, when, when, when Anthony takes the job as a butcher's assistant. Right. Right. You know, with Seymour Cassell. And it's funny, man. It's just, you know, it, it's so funny. Like the cameos. Right. You do see, like really, you, you look and see these cameos. They're just kind of dropped on you, but they don't, they're not showy. They're, it's not stunt casting. No. It's like, I, I didn't even remember it was Seymour Cassell. And neither did until I. he showed up. You know, and I was like, oh. I kept thinking you never saw the owners of the shop. I thought, well, you just, you just saw him cutting brains in half, you know, with skulls in half. Yeah. And then having his flashbacks later. I never remembered seeing the owner. I remember the right. shop closing, but I don't remember that scene. Yes. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, so we, we meet these kids, we, we get, we learn a little bit about them. You know, Skip's going to avoid the draft by going to college. Uh, you know, Jose is signing up cause he's got a baby on the way. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and Anthony doesn't really know what he wants to do, you know? And I feel like, you know, that's, it's Anthony's journey, but you're, you're sort of learning everything about Anthony and his world right there in that back of that truck at the beginning, you know, you can sort of like, you know, you see how people, you know, okay, of course, I'm going to go into the army or the Marines. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to go make some money. Uh, I'm going to do what's right. You know, it's, it's just, it's such a weird movie overall, as far as like, you know, from that trailer, it's, it's not a heist movie. Right. No, it's not. And earlier you mentioned, you know, Sticky Fingers being in this. And I'm like, again, I, I feel like we're more and more that we talk about the movies that we choose to talk about, how much things cross over. And we, I mean, we got a Blade crossover here. Yeah. We got a Blade feature film and Blade TV show crossover. Right. I mean, there's so many great casting choices in this and performances. Michael Imperelli. Oh, dude. Right? Yeah, that, the, the whole, the, when they get to Vietnam, right? <laughs> oh and, you're, and you're introduced to the platoon, it's like, holy shit, man. Yeah, like, you're, you're you're seeing you're seeing 50, the next fifteen years worth of dynamic supporting performers right there, yeah, all like in one group. In, in, well, on a, one platoon. It's just and we and we when we have these moments, we're like, man, why have why have I waited twenty five years to watch this movie again? And it would have somewhat as much of an impact on me if I had seen it five years ago or even ten years ago. I don't know, man, but. Right now, watching what's going on around us and and right? people struggling, it's and you see that on the news every day. Yeah, man. And you see that a lot in this. Only thing that's different is the hairstyles and the cars. Right. Yeah, man. That's it. Yeah. The clothes are almost the same. Yeah. You know, it's really a timely movie too. And that's kind of when I when I said, "Hey, maybe we should revisit this." Last month, I don't know why, but the movie just kept coming up in my consciousness. And I want to say. Part of it maybe because there was a point in time when, you know, this soundtrack literally lived in the CD player in my car, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and one of the things about this movie is like, not, not only are the, you know, are the visuals and the acting, but it's, it's the whole package is filmmaking. I mean, you know, they're needle drops because you know how I am about needle, needle drops can ruin a movie, yep. but there's not a bad one in this movie and they're they're all used exactly as they should be right and between that and and that danny elfman score man which to me is my favorite danny elfman score and like i think because what you said earlier you're absolutely right it's because it's unlike every other danny elfman score which are very similar like dark band batman you know they they kind of are you know you can see but this man this is something totally different right yep now 
we talk about the visuals a lot in this and the cinematography. Lisa Rensler, how crazy in 1994 when they shot it for anybody to turn to uh, with, with first time directors. I shouldn't say, I should say, I should go all the way back to 92 when they shot Menace because she shot Menace for them as well. Lisa Rensler. Yeah. <laughs> for such a young eye to pull these images, you see it a lot in Menace, but not like this. Not, you know, Lisa got a chance to work in three different situations. Vietnam, as it was developing in New York, you know, how the, how the world was dealing with it. Vietnam itself and how much the world changed four years later. Right. Five years, actually. I think it comes back in 74, I think. Yeah, five years. It's been, it's been like a five-year. Yeah. And, Holy know. shit. Fucking what a talent she is. She's amazing. And now this is, she's nothing to shake a stick at her work. Wow, dude. I mean, no joke. She's amazing. And she's done, I mean, she's done a lot of work. Yeah, she, she, uh, she shot Trees Lounge and Pollock as well. Right, and Pollock, boy. <laughs> Talking about working with light. And she did an amazing job in that. And I, don't, I haven't seen, that's another one I need to revisit just for, just for Ed's performance alone. But she's done so much work over the years. And she's somebody who's always working. She works on documentaries. She works on television. She works on short films. This is somebody that is always working. I mean, she's fueled by work. And there's one, there's some years where she's worked on as many as 10 projects. Granted, there's lots of shorts, but... She still gives the same dedication to the work every time. By the way, she worked on that Hitchcock Truffaut doc. Right. <laughs> Dude, that's just... I mean, she's uber talented. I yes. mean, it's so, it's so crazy too is, you know, how even 20, you know, 25 years ago, there weren't a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of uh, female DPs. No. I mean, not like, not like, like now we're in a whole, like, you know, we're, we're like in a Renaissance and there's a, you know, there, I, I know several have worked with three really excellent ones. Uh, but Lisa, man, I mean, dude, this movie is, is shot beautifully, you know, her in the design production design, you know, the use of browns and golds and these warm colors. Yep. And then, and then the, the way the colors change, uh, from the beginning to when we get to into Vietnam, it's a masterwork. I, I, I really think, this movie, you know, kind of is a forgotten gem right. uh, from that mid '90s. Which, you know, this movie could have been made. This movie could have been made in the late '70s. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. And she's done a lot of work overseas too. She's done a lot of work in in Europe and specifically in Germany. A lot of good reasons for that because <laughs> I think she was born there. Correct. I mean, she's 65 now, but still. At 40 years old, like we talked about, well, we can go back to, let's just say 37 years old. I mean, like we talked about before, most women in the business, especially right now coming through indie cinema, that was their way in was indie cinema. I mean, it's the same thing to be said about Catherine Bigelow, like with Near Dark. I mean, that granted she had like, you know, James Cameron behind her, but it's still an indie movie. It's still a small movie. And you see that a lot with... If you're a female filmmaker, you're, you're finding yourself having to be be a director because, you, you, like you said, it's rare to see a female, at least at that level, right? A female DP, but her work speaks for itself. I mean, she did a lot of work before she got to the Hughes Brothers, but I mean, what she brought to the table was something very unique and hadn't been seen before. I mean, yeah, you get your little homage shots in there, right? For for Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah, totally. But overall, she creates, along with the art department, of just a visual that put me right in the 1970s, right early 70s. And you know, I was a whole four or five years old. You know, when it comes back from Nam around that point, I'm five. So I had seen some of those images on TV before. So it wasn't anything like I. It, was, it wasn't anything unique to me. But what a tone she creates in all three eras that you that we see in the movie. Her her experience and still I say it's a, she has a youthful eye. She does. I mean, she's only thirty seven. You know, that's still pretty damn young. Yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> to have the kind of visual language that she has, it expands beyond this um, and other things, especially like like Pollock, for instance. But what she brings to the table helps really raise. Alan and Albert's vision in a big way. Yeah. What, what I find shocking about this movie is it was, you know, they, they made this thing for $10 million. Scary. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, good Lord, dude. Because Menace, well, how much was Menace? Oh, Menace was, I want to say Menace was a under- A mil? 
right? Yeah, like two million or something. Three and a half. And it and it did a, a nice chunk of change. It did twenty eight million, which is how they got their ten for dead presidents. Right. But what they did, I mean, what, what, I, I'm not 100 percent sure because this is one of those things I had difficulty tracking down production wise. Where did they shoot all the nom stuff as far as the outdoor? Did they shoot that in Mexico? It seems to be a common place. I, I would imagine. I, I think so. Um, you know, it, some of it looks like they did a little bit of it on. Um, it all looks like it was shot in Mexico. I was trying to figure out the same thing. When the, you know what when the airstrike happens. You can feel the the layer, the composition layers. You can feel the optical, like like three or four level optical. I'm going to say they shot in Florida. The jungle stuff is all shot in Florida. Because if you look at the filming locations on IMDb, it just says, it says Florida, USA at the bottom is the last location. I gave that. I'm with that. That makes sense because, you know, when they pull that wide shot and then the airstrike is coming, you could feel the optical effect. You can feel like it's like three or four layers deep, like with the water buffalo in the foreground and the water. It clearly was shot at a different time and the way background where they had that old, what's supposed to be old Vietnam structure in the background, like an old, an old cement building or something like that. It's all yes. broken up. So I really feel like there's probably like four or five layers there. That makes a lot of sense. Cause probably they probably use some, some stock footage there in between all that. It's effective. Fuck, I thought they were in the jungle, dude. <laughs> well, if you've been to Florida, you are in the jungle. <laughs> Right. There's a reason why they train soldiers there or did. <laughs> so they can get used to, to the that kind of weather. I guess like we're talking about, the, the, the feeling of the movie works across the board. You feel where they're at. We talked before we started recording about my favorite segment, the, the favorite, my favorite moment, I shouldn't say segment, but favorite moment in the entire movie is right after Anthony has just been been hanging out with his girl, <laughs> skipping out the back door <laughs> when her mom comes home. He's hopping over fences and we're falling on this really, by the way, really, really fast dolly move. I'm, I'm going to say he, they were in a truck, right? They couldn't have been, because they were that, mm, uh, that's a lot mm-hmm. of track. That had that was a lot of track they had going there if that was a dolly. Yeah. But they're just following him over these fences. He's hopping the fences and people are yelling at him. He's yelling back. And they transition, boom, right into Nam. And before you even get the visual, you're hearing the sounds. Yes. And people yelling at him and the, and the yelling of the people in the homes for hopping through his, their backyard, it becomes them yelling, the, the, his platoon as they're getting into the mess in Vietnam. As the shit is hitting the fan. Right. That's not a, a move by young filmmakers. That's a move by a veteran. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. And it doesn't feel like anything else I'd ever seen before. And it, and it says it happened. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember how great that is. The, the Hughes knew what they were doing. And boy, and like you like you said, right in the shit. And boom, you're like, you went from this calm, <laughs> this calm life they all had, and you just get shoved into the meat grinder. And you're right, in, you're right in it with them. You're right in the shit, man. It's wild. Yeah, it's totally, it, you know, you because it's funny, you're in the, you, you know, it's very intimate movie. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, you, it's intimate. You're in the, you're in the truck with the three of those guys. That's what I'm saying. You, you know, you meet them, you, you know, you, you, you're like one of, you're with them, right. you know, you're with them running because it's that feeling when you're a kid, you're running through the alleys and, and then suddenly you're in a fucking place where shit is hitting the fan and there's explosions and people are getting killed next to you. Now your group is widened. And I, I really like the way, it, you know, it was shot and edited. Oh yeah. Dan Lebenthal, uh, who God has done a slew of Marvel movies at this point. Yeah. In his career. He's, done, he's done a few things. <laughs> he's done a few things, but man, I mean, I, I would say that probably having someone like Dan on board early on, you know, and again, he was, you know, this was early in his career. So all these, you know, these, these great filmmakers, you know, all you, you 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 see the genesis of all that in this movie. Right, it's quite impressive. I mean, once we've now met the uh, platoon of you know our group's grown a little bit bigger, which you know as the descent into hell continues, you you've got more people. And it, I mean, the, the Vietnam stuff in this is done really really well. Right. And I like, you know, our little introduction to everybody. But this is where we were talking, like, you know, Michael Imperioli shows up pre-Sopranos. Right. Bokeem Woodbine. But still, I mean, when Imperioli showed up on The Sopranos, he was still kind of unknown. Oh, yeah. 100%. When Sopranos started, I couldn't remember where I knew him from. I'm like, where do you know this guy from? And I had to look it up. And that's when, that's, by the way, that's that's IMDb in its infancy back then. And, you, you know, Google wasn't even a thing yet when you looked that up. <laughs> it was, uh, it was Yahoo was yeah. your main search engine, right? 
Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Netscape, when Netscape wasn't just a browser, it was a search engine on its own too. And I'm like right. going, oh, okay. I'm. He was in a movie I've seen, but I had no, I don't remember him from it at all. No, not at all. The, the Vietnam stuff isn't very long. Oh, no, no. I remember being longer, but again, 25 years. Sure. And being getting, getting older. Yeah. And also you're seeing it for the first time. And I, I wasn't expecting, because they never showed you any of the Vietnam stuff in the trailer. No. When it, when they made that transition from him jumping the fences into, into the middle of a firefight, I was like, what the fuck? Where am I? Right. Which is another thing that's, you know, again, being 24, 25, when the movie came out, you're kind of right in that age where, man, this, this, this literally could have happened, you know, what? going from, you know, high school fucking right into, you know, the middle of the Gulf War. Right. You know, like my brother. It's something that y- you, it's, it's, it's just jarring. Like you said, when we mentioned earlier during the trailer, it, the focus was always on the heist. I, I think the trailer probably uses almost every shot <laughs> that's in the heist. Yeah. So when you see it happen in the movie, I'm like, and you're like, wait, we're just now getting to the heist? But you don't think about it until you're there. Right. You know, until they're planning the heist. Yeah. Because up until that, you're like enthralled and you're like, all of a sudden, every filmmaker's dream is to put out a movie and have people not know what is going to happen next. Because the trailers always ruin that. Yeah, man. Totally. So like you noted, when you get to Vietnam stuff, you're like, whoa, what is this? And it isn't just a surprising moment. It's this whole thing that you didn't think existed in this movie. Yeah, totally. It's handled so well, but minimal. It's not, it's, you get just enough of it to see what it was like for that group to be there and what, what they experienced. And by the way, fast forward to the third act when, when Anthony's home and, you know, he's always getting his ass busted for drinking and, you know, the booze and you only get one moment to see why he's drowning himself in it. Yeah. Just that one moment, that one nightmare he has. Yep. That's, again, that's that's an experienced filmmaker, like that with decades under his belt, that chooses to only use that one moment. Not these guys that are in their mid twenties busting this stuff on you. Yeah, totally. I mean, they were like our age. That's, yes. I mean, you know, I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, dude, I, what I should be doing more. I'm like, I'm working in a video store, dude. <laughs> God damn it! I work in a video these store. These guys are my age, and this dude's like two years younger than me, and he's like, and these guys are killing it, man. Yeah, I know. So ridiculous. So yeah, dude, they're, dudes, dudes are, by the way, they're only going to be turning 49 in April, right? Right. There you go. <laughs> they, did more, they did more their first two movies, their first two movies than I'll ever do in my entire film career. What a lasting impression these guys had if all they ever did was these two movies. But no, fast forward a little bit and, and you're getting from hell. Oh yeah. And then you get that. The, the, the experienced filmmaker, I keep referring to them as having that level of skill. We fast forward to Book of Eli, and now they're exactly that age I was talking about. <laughs> That's a masterpiece, man. That movie is so good. And just like with everything else they've done with their movies, I don't know what it is. Maybe they have a deal in, in their, something in their deal with the studios. But I've always been not surprised, but there's something that happens in their movies where I didn't even know had an inkling that something like that was going to happen. And Book of Eli is one of them too. Oh yeah. Right. They do that in all their movies. That presence was one of them. We neither one of us knew that damn movie had Vietnam elements in it, much less ones that were so jarring. Dude. Instantly took you out of that comfort. Like again, like you noted, the colors that were used before Vietnam. Just they put you at ease. They just kind of like you. Yes, you they're get very it. soothing. The and you're music, like, everything, you're, you're, so well crafted. And then that's when the score comes back. Right. The score comes. You get the score, the opening credits, but then it goes needle drops, like you said, perfect and poetic needle drops, and then back to the score when everything's dire. And then back to the needle drops and when they come home. Oh my! But but the, 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 it's funny, like through this like. The, the mournful needle drops. Yes. You know, if, you, if you notice the shift in the music and, yep. the, and, the, and, the, and the needle drops um, from, the, from the beginning of the movie, things were happier times. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just done really well, man. Yep. They, didn't, they didn't just drop things in because they were cool. 
or, you know, it's so funny, man, the difference between something like this that's done so well and then something that's not done well. It's, it's, it's really just, it's almost disturbing. Like, how could you possibly be that bad? You know, just here's a, here's a perfect example everybody just check out the way they use music in this, you know, it's almost Tarantino miss. Yeah. I mean, and it was pre Jackie Brown, right. Which is another one of my favorite uh, soundtracks from that period, that late, that late nineties, mid to late nineties filmmaking. But some of the stuff that Anthony sees in Vietnam that, you know, this is what continues to haunt him uh, as he comes back into uh you know, the real world when right. he gets out, uh, you know, like Cleon, dude, when Cleon, when Cleon does that thing that he does, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen the movie because it, it's quite a shocking moment right. when it happens. And you know what I'm talking about? Yep. The Foley work <laughs> when he's doing that yep. is gut-wrenching. It's like, fuck, that's gnarly. That is so gross. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, and then Anthony, you know, him having to deal with, deal with Imperioli. But then what happens to Imperioli is one of the fucking worst things I've ever seen in a fucking movie. Yes. <laughs> Horrible. So rough. You know? And the scene with him in Sticky Fingers. Yeah. Uh, I mean... The other, the other night when I told you, I'm like, oh, damn, the movie's not in scope on, on digital. Remember I just going off about that? Yes. The scene you're talking about with Cleon was, I just happened to jump. I just clicked somewhere along the timeline just so I could see. And that's the scene. That's the scene that he fell on. It was right after, just as he was, yeah. Yeah, man, it's just gnarly. I mean, it, most people have probably already seen it. Well, again, I don't know how many people, this is a movie I feel like either you know and love or you haven't seen it. Right. And again, that's why I don't want to, I don't want to give away too yeah. much because there's some great stuff in this movie. Yeah, it really, and by the way, we, we keep talking about, I keep mistakenly saying it's, it's been 25, it's been 25, it has been more than 25 years. It came out in 1995, but my head still thinks it's 2000, dude. It's, <laughs> it still thinks it's 2020, you know? Sure. And it, cause my head's fucked up. Well, because it's, nothing's different. You're right. Nothing's changed. <laughs> yet. <laughs> um, yet. One of the other things that is really challenging as a film goer when you see a movie like this you have to get past certain things like all right and this is this is the 1995 version of interpretation of what happened in the 70s right but i don't feel that way about this no you know i don't there's no adjustment that you have to make in your head they paint the painting perfectly and you always feel like you're in 1969 you always feel like you're in in 1973 and 74. Yep. It feels if you you you're you're immersed in it, and it has a lot to do with the fact, like you mentioned before, we're right there in the van in the in the milk truck with them, and where we meet these kids. Yeah, man. You know, right? And all your and and, it, and it's only five years later. Right. It's only five years later, and how much they've had to grow up between between being 17 years old and 23, 24 years old. It's wild. Dude, and the transition you can see in the character, in the arc of these characters, uh, especially Tate. I mean, man, yeah. he, and he carries this movie. Yes. To, for being, with all these heavyweight veterans surrounding him, for him to be able to carry, you know, the scenes with him and, and Kirby. Yeah. Uh, with Keith David. Yeah. Dude, some of the best stuff, uh, you know, it, it you know, I, there's the scene where, you know, he, he drives Kirby to uh, collect a debt. Yes. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just their chemistry, man. Uh, from the moment we see him running, Anthony running numbers as a kid, you know, and then when he comes back from Vietnam and, you know, he's, he's strolling up in his, uh, in his uniform and he's yeah. rocking through his old neighborhood, yeah. you know, and he sees Skip for the first time and he runs into Cowboy again and, you know, he makes his way back to Kirby, but the stuff between him and Keith David is really special. I mean, it's, right. it, it really shows an adult. He's moved on from being that ki that kid, that sort of sunny disposition, Anthony, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this world out to this. Well, man, the world didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. And right. I don't, you know, I'm trying to figure it out, man. Right. God, dude, I could have taken a whole movie about him and Kirby. Yeah, totally. And, <laughs> right? And a lot of times in other movies, Kirby, the film in the gaps of an absentee father. But the thing is, Anthony's father wasn't that. Anthony's father was a good he father. He still has a father. Yeah, and he was very good to right. him. And, and he wasn't, he wouldn't, you know, he didn't have any problems. 
But there's one little thing, and again, I didn't get it when I was 26 when I saw this this movie the first time. When he's having, they're at the dinner table, and Anthony tells him, I'm going, I'm joining the Marines. Mom is pissed off because she's been pushing college. And Isaiah Washington, who is uncredited for this. I know, dude. I I was like, wait, wait, he's not in the credits. (laughs) So he's he's, he's this moment. And it's just this moment, too, because you see him later on. Again, I won't, you know, ruin anything for anybody. Yes, right. We see him at the end of the movie. And when mom leaves the the table and he's having a heart-to-heart with his dad, he says, I'm a dad, you know, you went to Korea. Korea said that made you the man you are today. And the look in his dad's face, again, I didn't get it until I watched it this week where I thought, okay, I think maybe his dad's having, has some issues after he came back from the Korean war. Like he's not, the war affected him in a, in, in a way that he somehow oh, yeah. protected himself. He protect, he, he hid that from the family. And it was, it was just a hint. It was just the look in his face. Yeah, James Pickens Jr. plays the dad. And just just that one little moment, man, just that one face where I'm like going, oh. And we see Anthony make that face when he comes home. Right. Again, I didn't see, I, I, I was half my age, I am now. I didn't see it. I was even going to take it a little further and say, uh, because Kirby also served in Vietnam right. where he lost his leg, or not in Vietnam, but in Korea. Right. right. And, and, and you can sort of see... They are similar. They're they're like different sides of the same coin. Right. Uh, his real father, Anthony's father, and Kirby. Anthony's father found a way to fucking insulate his family and 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 sort of suppress all that. Right. As to where Kirby, you know, Kirby went, you know, Kirby went a different route. Right. Not right or wrong, but I'm just saying it's 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 very. And Anthony's kind of torn between the two father figures as well. I think. Right. And they don't make a big deal about it. It's so subtle. So it's not something that's rammed down your throat. It's something you sort of discover and learn for yourself. Right. Uh, they just sort of lay, lay it out there, and you know, again, wise beyond their years at this point. Right. Right. You know, the, the performances, I mean, dude, uh, like Tucker, dude, like when you first see Tucker after they've come back from Vietnam yeah. and dude, he looks rough right. and he looks strung out. Right. And that scene where him and Anthony continue to walk and he, he yells off and says, yo, yo, we tell your sister I'm coming to see her. He'll fuck you, man. <laughs> such a great moment. I mean, dude, it is such a great moment. And I, you know, I, I, I want to say, I feel like that's probably one of the Hughes brothers yelling at Skip yeah. off camera. By the way, that, that, okay. There's no moment of levity in the Vietnam scene. None. There's one before Vietnam and there's one after. That one is the one after. The first one you kind of, is a scene that you mentioned. And I won't say what happens because it's, again, it's a f- super fucking funny moment. When the when when um Anthony and Kirby go for a drive, oh yeah, there's something that happens there, and it's like it, it's the funniest. It, it gives you a moment of levity that you really need because after that they're gonna kick you in the ass, and they do. Yep. <laughs> right, like I said, the descent into hell just it 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 starts to ramp up in Vietnam, and you think yeah. it's you know how could it be any? How, if I get out of this, man, every day is gonna be gravy. I think he even says that at one point, right. basically. But, it, you know, it's just not. And it's, you know, oof, that last act too, boy. Oof. Yeah. When Anthony comes back from Vietnam, he's, he's going to have a care in the world. You know, he's just kind of like, I'm home. I get to, now I can start my life kind of thing. And he's thinking, he has no idea what's going on back home. And that's something else I thought was really interesting that what Albert and Alan did. Also with Michael Henry Brown, who, who actually wrote the screenplay and the brothers, they worked out the story together. They don't show the things that you've seen on the news. If you're watching news clippings or newsreels or things like that from the 70s, you're not seeing that usual baby killer nonsense that's going on. They're just showing you how the the, the neighborhood that you were introduced to in the beginning, how much it's changed. And like when Cowboy runs into Anthony when he comes home, he just sees another, he just sees another green jacket. Yep. You know, like he's been seeing him through the neighborhood for years. So when he, and then he, he kind of looks up and realizes, oh shit! Oh, it's you, the war hero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a images and a life that because of where you and I grew up, I, we don't get. I mean, we understand, no it, man, but we don't. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't register to us. To to us, it's unique. To us, it's it's something we've never seen before, especially for um. 
a movie that was presented to us as a heist movie. And, and then like, you're like, Whoa, what the hell is all this other stuff? Now we're in a Vietnam movie. <laughs> right. And then, and then, yeah. yeah you don't, I you mean, don't realize you're in a Vietnam movie until you're no. in a Vietnam movie. Right. Fuck, dude. I, I, do I want, would I say this is my favorite movie from the brothers? Oh, I would say it is. I yeah. mean, I love all their stuff, but this movie has a special place in my heart. Um, it, but I'm going to tell you, I did watch From Hell yeah. immediately after watching this. I was like, I need to revisit that. <laughs> yeah. And I was glad I did. And I'm going to revisit Menace because I haven't seen Menace God forever, man. I mean, I saw it a ton when it came out. I remember we, it was a VHS. I was 23, I think, living in Northridge with my room. And it was a movie that we had like on all the time right. because, you know, we're 23 and that's what was happening at right. the time, you know, John Singleton, the Hughes brothers, Maddie Rich, all those guys, yeah. you know, uh, did you ever see, you know, there's, there's another great movie, uh, South Central yep. uh, with Glenn Plummer, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was a thing. And then the Hughes brothers, you know, jumped from that right to this, man. And yeah, this has been one of my favorite movies since I saw it in 95. And uh, I think it is my favorite of their films. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard choice. It's a hard choice to make because it's like, you got four really, really good movies. Like, you know, it, yeah. it's almost like, it's like one A, one B, one C, one D. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's it's hard to say, yes, this is my favorite because they're all so fucking good. Yeah. It's funny. Um, they've done so much work in television too. Dude. And because dude, I mean, they, they haven't done a feature film together since Eli, I think. Broken City, I think, is maybe just Albert. Uh, yeah, Broken City was just him. That was 2013, but yeah, so they haven't done anything together since 2010. Eli, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, you know, I mean, again, the stuff that they've, they've directed for TV. I mean, like yeah. Gang Related, dude. Gang Related was a good show right. that falls into the uh, brilliant but canceled category. Right. <laughs> you know, since we're talking about the Hughes and we're at the closing the end of this, um, again, their their whole catalog is worth looking into. In fact, their whole catalog is worth owning. If you don't, I kind of feeling that a lot of you haven't seen this before from hell or have seen menace or have seen, I mean, probably seen Eli. Book of Eli is probably the, what people know the most. Like I was, I would say it's easily there. Yeah. It's easily their, their most commercial and more, most uh, mainstream movie well, anyway. It's got Denzel in it too. It's, Denzel you know, in it's it. high profile. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to make a movie with Denzel that nobody sees, Right. you know, especially at this point it was, was that, was that 2011, 10, 2010, 2010 Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that was 10, God, that was 10 years ago. Holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy. They have a documentary coming out called Outlaw, the saga of Afeni and Tupac Shakur. So it's about Tupac and his mom. And, uh, you know, before they did Menace, they directed like several Tupac videos. They, they, you know, there's a little bit of relationship there. They had, they understood him. And so I can only imagine what they're going to bring to the table. But they're like I said, they're in post-production right now on that. I have no idea who is, who's picking it up or if they're just freewheeling it. But Interscope Films is the production company. So it tells you nice. Um, there's some real money behind it and there's some real. And we're probably going to get some stuff we haven't seen before. And right. these other, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, again, the thing I would say, you know, in closing this up or wrapping it up is that the, what I admire the most about the Hughes brothers is they don't, they're not pigeonholed, man. They're not making no. the same movie every time out. Not, not from the get go. They weren't. No. So, you know. So check all these movies out. Yeah. Uh, each and every one of them is a totally different. Yes. You, you'd think you're watching, uh, you know, you would never know that it was the same guys that made dead presidents made from hell. Right. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> no. Like I mean that like, in a like what a fucking bold step to take from, you know, to jump from menace to uh dead presidents, you know, and then make your doc, the American pimp. And then go right to from hell from that. And yeah. then, you know, and then the book and then the book of Eli a little bit later. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things about th this movie does have some, like, there are a couple iconic things about this movie. One is the poster. Yep. That poster, man, that poster was the re the poster and the title. <laughs> mm -hmm. If I didn't know anything about menace to society, mm -hmm. I would have seen this movie strictly based on that poster. Yeah. You know? It's like, and, and it's like perfect marketing too, 
um, for that trailer to to tell us something that really only takes place the last five minutes of the movie <laughs> or 10 minutes of the movie. I love that that's all it was because like we mentioned earlier, once you see the movie, you expected the beginning, right? You expected that, you know, the introduction to these kids and everything like that. You didn't know when the robberies were supposed to happen because most of the trailer was them in their full skull clown makeup, right? It's perfect marketing because once you're in the seat, because you're expecting to see something different and then you get your ass blown on the back of the theater with something you were not expecting. God, anybody that loves movies has to just love it just for that reason alone to see something you weren't expecting, even after anticipating something based on something visual you saw. But like the point that you made, well, I remember standing in line to get in. It was a Friday night. Um, it didn't sell out, which was crazy. Maybe it was like half full when we got in there, but standing outside next to the one sheet being backlit in one of those glass displays outside the theater, just getting you all ramped up for that. And then you go, man, when's this robbery going to happen? And then when you hit the Vietnam stuff, it's like, whoa, holy shit. What is this? Right. Every, everybody that wants to see a movie for, I don't care what anybody says. And they get pissy when they see a trailer and all that stuff's in, none of that stuff's in the trailer or, or, or they see something in a movie that that's not what the trailer said this was. This is one of those times where it's perfect as a film, as a film goer, or a cinema lover, you have to just love the fact that they did something that you weren't expecting. Right. Not just the one little moment, the whole, what, two thirds of the movie, they did something you weren't ready for. Yeah, man. Totally. Yeah. Like all unexpected. I mean, is this my favorite He's Brothers movie? Yes. Yeah. The more we talk about it, the more yeah. I realize <laughs> that it is. But yeah, man. I mean, maybe we should maybe we should maybe we should add maybe we should link the trailer to the episode. Yeah, I'll know? put it in the show notes for sure. Just put it down in the show notes so that again, it's show me, don't tell me. Well, I'm showing you the damn trailer. So check it out yeah. and, and then go get the movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. dude, I, I it's not on Blu-ray and I have I have a I have my DVD copy of it. But man, like my TV is too big for my fucking, for the, so like it, you it's You get a postage stamp? Yeah, man. You get the letterbox and the, and the pillars? <laughs> I get the letterbox and pillars. It's bullshit. <laughs> what you're seeing on Prime and Hulu, it's the same, it's the same trans digital transfer. And I, yes. that's why I was, I was so mad because this movie was shot 235 and yep. where it really suffers. Is the Vietnam the stuff. The Vietnam stuff. Yeah. You know, Lisa makes really good use of that space too. And oh yeah. There's there's moments where they're hard left or hard right and you're not seeing the whole image because you're probably seeing some bastardized 185. It's not even 185. You're just seeing some 16 like by 9. 166 or something. Yeah, something really <laughs> jacked up. Yeah, yeah. Again, we have a track record <laughs> right. We know we bang that drama about fucking aspect ratio. We bang it real loud. Um, you know, so this is a fucking shame that it's not in the correct aspect ratio, but don't let that stop you from seeing the movie. No, no, because again, the most, the Vietnam stuff isn't, isn't intimate. Like we talked about that proximity of intimacy you get with, the, you know, starting with the milk truck. That's one of the reasons why the first and third acts are fine in the way that it's being you know shown on Prime right now or Hulu wherever you're watching it, it's okay. It works that way. It's only the Vietnam stuff that really shows that 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 width and just how grand that all is. So when when you come back to to New York and after Vietnam, you that intimacy's back. So you you're already getting close proximity anyway. You're getting those mediums and ECUs, so you're already feeling that. You're already feeling what those characters are feeling. So. Exactly. It doesn't suffer from it. It would be nice if it was just presented in the way that, that Lisa and Hughes wanted to look, but it doesn't matter. The movie is effective. The movie is affected by performances and the performances aren't affected by the aspect no, ratio here. This isn't commando yeah. where I needed to be. Nope. <laughs> Speaking of performances, there, there's not a bad performance in this movie. Mm -hmm. If you, if you find one, email us and I'll tell you you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, dude. Yeah. Like I said, we could have, we could have done a huge brothers month. Um, yeah. the thing is that's, that was so nutty is like, if you, we just did a huge brothers month and even if we didn't, we chose not to break away from, you know, the single work that get Alan doing broken city, like you mentioned earlier with our man, Russell Crowe and Mark Wahlberg. Right. Catherine Zeta. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
we could do a whole month because that's all the only features they did together. They only did five movies, right? Yeah. And I think totally. we mentioned them all. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> and they're all awesome. Presidents. Yeah. American Pimp, dude, is yeah. If you haven't seen American Pimp, you know, see Dead Presidents, then check out, you know, yes. I don't know. Just see them in whatever order you want. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to see their their journey as filmmakers, start with Menace and go right up to Book of Eli right. and in, you know, and beyond if you want. Depending on what your mood is, none of them are bad. You won't be you won't be disappointed in any of it. No, not at all. <laughs> anyway, so make sure you get a chance to check out Dead Presidents. Um, again, if you have it, I, I believe it's on Prime in Canada, and it's definitely in the United States. So I don't know about the other territories, but check your listings. If not, it's got to be available for rent. It's so worth renting. You probably pay four or five dollars more and get it. If you bought the digital, I'm pretty sure it's two thirty five, like it's supposed to be. Again, one of those. Yep. I'm we're, I'm really hoping, by the way, that our, our track record of talking about movies and then eventually seeing a boutique release later comes to fruition because this movie, oh. this movie, I don't care if you took the extras from the DVD and transferred them over. That's fine. But I got to think, Alan, I got to think, Albert, I got to think that the cast, like I think all these people are willing to come on Dude. and talk about this. Yeah, man. Stories like the, this, you know. There, uh, I'm sure uh, just judging from the, from hell package, yeah. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff available. Cause I, you know, you don't just stumble, you don't just do that on your third, fourth film. You know, there's, there's some stories and there's some footage and I, you know, I'd love, I'd love to sit, I dude, I'd love to talk to any, anybody in this movie about this movie. Right. Starting with Albert and Allen. And this is one of those movies that I really feel like, you know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily a shout or like we've always like, we've always like, you know, specifically talked about certain boutique shops, like, oh, this is right up their alley. This is right up their arrow or something. This is a criterion type of release. Oh yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is like, I know, I don't want to sound, I'm, I'm doing a class level thing between the boutiques. This is not what I'm saying. This is such an impactful movie, especially in that, that time that I'm really surprised that this isn't seen in criterion release. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's funny because I keep thinking, well, you know what, somebody is going to pick this up. You know, it it doesn't seem like shouts, you know, shout select maybe, but I mean, I feel like it's it's a little bit more important than that, you know, in in its in just in what it is. It seems like something, you know. I bet you, you know, who I feel might touch this is Kino. Yeah, I can see that. It's but it's 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 also one of those weird ones because it's a Hollywood Pictures movie. Yeah. And I've always felt like a lot of those movies had a hard time or having a hard time finding their release. But well, <laughs> you know, Kino did release Terminal Velocity, which is also Hollywood Pictures. And Kino also just released My Science Project. Was that not Correct. one of the <laughs> Yes it was. Okay then. So that's my yeah. point. <laughs> and by the yeah, way, that's so, so maybe it's Kino. And maybe it's Kino. Kino. Kino, you don't have to Kino. send us. You don't have to send us anything. Just tell us who you're working on this. Please. Yeah, man. Just email us and let us know so we can please, bask in the please, glory. Please tell me that you wanted to put it out last year and that the pandemic prevented you from doing all the wonderful things that you wanted to do to it. I'm okay with that because the world needs this. Yep. Damn it. Yep. Exactly. So, so if you want to follow us on social media, believe it or not, we're we changed things up a little bit. <laughs> We're a movie show What talks about TV stuff, but we're a movie yeah. show. So we're limiting ourselves now to just on Letterboxd. And if you want yeah. to follow Corey on Letterboxd, you can follow Corey on Corey underscore Culp or support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you like to follow Freddie, you can still follow me at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody. Cody.